talking, he's got to show up. He's got to make amends for not showing up in that NBA Finals last year. You got to get it done. I don't care what you do between now and May. I don't care what you do the first week of June. Since You're not going to honor the bet? Uh -uh. This is coming off. What are you doing? TBE, the biggest ego ever. That's all this stands for. TBE, the biggest. Where's the camera? Right there. You got it. Right there. Right in the camera. His sources tell him Kevin Durant prefers the Lakers in free agency at this moment. And I'm here to tell you, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's talking about. And I'll tell you this, this is happening. For a long time, we've become accustomed as sports fans to consuming our sports talk in that one way. Large egos across numerous networks, yelling, screaming, giving you baseless takes, Without any real information, taking advantage of the trust that we as sports fans have given them as the media to inform us on things that we might not be privy to. Some of us have gotten smarter to that fact and realized that there's a lot of information out there beyond these takes that tell the truth of the matter. Some of us still believe that these guys are the only source and we will believe in them regardless of how much false information they float out there. But for those who are interested in the truth, I bring you the gray area. I am the elite podcaster, Ray Jarvis. And if you didn't catch it just now, this is the gray area. My goal with this podcast, more than anything else, is to put on. A lot, a lot, you know, you look around, a lot of people aren't putting on anymore. They're just yelling, talking. Throwing out popular names and basic statistics. And that's it. There's, there's no real depth. There's no real intel. It's just, this guy's really good. This guy's really bad. And that's that. We're not going to get into anything like, oh, well, you know what? Maybe if this happened, it would have happened another way. There's no nuance to the discussion. There's no layers to the discussion. I like layers. I know a lot of people who like layers. We could be talking about cakes. We could be talking about sports talk. We could be talking about political discussions, hip-hop discussions, fashion discussion, urban lifestyle, suburban lifestyle discussions. But we all like a particular take. We all like a particular layer. I think it's time for us to get, you know, into more layered discussion. Why not? Isn't it only right for us to get as much information as we possibly can? That's not asking for too much, no? That's my brief introduction to the gray area. Layered discussions, laced with truth. Not my truth, the truth. Get familiar with chapter one. I bring you NBA Legacy Wars. It seems about when, when the original Big Three got together in Miami, players' obsession with their legacy has been pushed to the forefront. The conversation about rings is the only thing. Forget skill, forget cultural impact, forget all of that. Either you have a ring or you don't have a ring. Guys like Robert Orr, who, yes, hit big shots, hit a lot of big shots, have become more and more valid as years have gone by because he has seven rings. His seven rings are his legacy. Guys like Derek Fisher, 
five rings. His five rings are his legacy. A few big shots, but forget the regular seasons. Forget, forget being a superstar and putting the team on your back. It's all about the ring. Even with the superstars, some of these superstars are really good NBA players. But over time, you see guys like like Patrick Ewing. Not not the bash Nick fans, but a guy like Patrick Ewing is getting more and more less. Excuse me, getting less and less appreciated over time because he doesn't have a ring. We're not talking about the fact that for a calm 10 years, he was arguably the best big in the game, the most polished big in the game on the offensive side and the defensive side of the ball. Yes, it was Hakeem during that time, but really and truly for, for a long stretch of time, Patrick Ewing was that guy in the middle in the NBA. But because he has no rings, it's becoming less valid. I don't think that's fair. I don't find that to be fair at all. I think it's a situation where we need to understand that skill still matters. Being the best in the, being the best in the world at what you do for an extended period of time should also count towards your legacy more so than rings. Don't get me wrong, I'm a Kobe guy. I love rings. Rings help my Kobe argument. But I'll be the first one to tell you that beyond rings, I have to give it to LeBron James because LeBron James' legacy, when it's all said and done, is going to be more weighted than Kobe. He did more with basketball than Kobe in terms of building individual accolades which go towards his quote-unquote legacy. It's not just rings, people. The 2017 NBA Finals wrapped up recently. Kevin Durant, his reason for becoming a Golden State Warrior was validated. You can't argue with the fact that KD went there, made a basketball decision. Everybody wanted to make it about Westbrook and being a coward and calling it a sucker move and all this and that. I'm a simpleton. He made a basketball move. High efficiency player going with the most efficient offense who had the most fun playing basketball to get a championship and to beat LeBron James. That's all we need to focus on here. But because of the fact that legacy has become more to the forefront, rings and how you get your rings, it's now a sucker move, it's now weak, it's this, it's that. The 2017 NBA Finals, to a certain degree, didn't necessarily shape the legacies of, of all the stars involved. The stars being LeBron, KD, and Steph Curry. Now, a lot of eyebrows are going to go up with that statement. And that's a fair situation to happen. Of course, eyebrows are going. What do you mean? KD just got his first ring. Steph just got his second ring. LeBron James didn't win a championship. He has five finals losses. How can no legacies be defined by that? Now, this is where the counter argument from Job comes into play. It can't be a scenario where legacies get affected if most of you believe that Kevin Durant made a sucker move by going to Golden State. How can his legacy improve if you feel that it was a sucker move? He was supposed to get the ring, right? So how is his legacy defined by anything? What are we, what are we really talking about here? My argument is, and much like to the LeBron James argument when he was in Miami... The legacy won't be solidified unless he does it again. He was supposed to do it this year. One of the hardest, excuse me, one of the hardest things to do as a champion is to repeat. To me, KD needs to duplicate this performance as dominant as he was in these finals. He has to dominate another NBA finals. Do it again, KD. Steph Curry, 
You, you had two shaky finals before this third one and you showed out. Steph Curry, you need to do it again. You guys need to prove that you are the next dynamic duo in NBA history. Dominate. Go back to back. Win another 60 plus games. Smoke out the, the Western Conference playoffs. Kick whoever comes out of the East out of the finals. And then your legacy will be shaped. For LeBron James, he was already 3-4 and four in the finals. So, to me, nothing really changes. It's the status quo. Now he's 3-5 and five into the same buzzards who say that Kevin Durant's move was a sucker move. You're right. If it's a sucker move for KD because he stacked the deck, then there's no way you can knock LeBron James for losing, right? This is the truth. I'm simplifying this whole discussion for y'all. If KD made a sucker move by stacking the deck, LeBron James cannot be held accountable for losing to a, a super team. I'm not a LeBron guy. I'm just using you guys' arguments to form a point to find some middle ground. How can anything be shaped? To me, the supporting actors got more of a bump. We got to see more from, from a Kyrie Irving as an example. That in the, in the biggest moments, on the biggest stage, you can depend on Kyrie to show up. You might not like the way Kyrie shows up. Absolutely not. He does some things on the court that leaves people scratching their heads. And that's fair. But in the end, Kyrie shows up. That, that's inarguable now. From this point forward, you know if the lights are bright and there's a championship on the line and Kyrie Irving is on the court, his legacy is he's a big-time performer in the biggest moments. Draymond Green, the recruiter of Kevin Durant, he's solidified. He's the ultimate Swiss Army knife in the NBA. Two-time champion, approaching a situation where he may be defensive player of the year multiple times in his career. Runs the offense, does all the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? All the intangibles. His legacy gets a boost. Klay Thompson, playing the defense that he played throughout the playoffs, and especially in the finals, he gets a boost. These guys get, Mike Brown, his legacy gets a major boost for doing what he did to hold the fort down until Steve, Bur Steve Kerr came back. But the star players, based on all the information out there, all the information gathered, you can't necessarily say that anything changed before the finals. To me, the only way legacies would have gotten adjusted is if the Cavaliers would have somehow won again. Then LeBron is in a different pantheon, and then Steph Curry starts to be looked at as a bit of a major loser along with Kevin Durant. So my question is, how did the NBA Finals of, of this particular season shape the legacies of its participants? The superstars stayed the same. The role guys... The guys, the supporting actors, they got a major bump. To me, the NBA Finals also shone a light on guys who missed the Finals. CP3, Carmelo Anthony, Dwayne Wade, Russell Westbrook. Now, because of the outcome and the way that the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors have dominated this league, all of those players that I just named, they are now on the clock. CP3 is looked at as this point guard. This this highly respected point guard, the best of this position, one of the best, one of the best to ever do it. He's a winner. He's tenacious, but he's never even gotten to the conference finals. How can we talk about this guy's legacy as a winner if he hasn't necessarily won anything? Isn't that hustling backwards? 
Where I'm from, that's hustling backwards. How can you be a winner and respected as a winner if you haven't won anything? I'm confused. There's no way you can define the legacy of CP3 as a winner without a conference finals appearance, let alone a finals appearance. He doesn't know what high-level winning in the NBA is. And when you have guys like Steph Curry, who was in his conference and ran past him, KD got a ring on the board. A couple of these guys have two rings. They're in the same division, same conference, and same division. To me, the more the Warriors win, the more of a knock it becomes on CP3's resume, on CP3's legacy. To Carmelo Anthony, it's part of the same draft class as LeBron. He was considered the second best overall talent in that draft. One conference finals appearance to his name. Guys who have come and ran past him in this league. Players all over the league have passed Melo. Melo's busy arguing with Phil Jackson about the triangle offense. But he has nothing major in terms of winning. No MVPs. I think he has a scoring title. I have to double check. He has a cachet that his legacy does not support. What is Carmelo Anthony at this point? And I love Melo. Be clear about this. I'm a Syracuse Orange fan. I love me some Melo. But let's call a spade a spade. The gray area is not here to be friends with you or to pick a side or the other. We're calling it down the middle. Carmelo Anthony's legacy right now is much like CP3's. He's going to be defined as a loser over time. If guys like Patrick Ewing and Charles Barkley... Carl Malone and so on and so forth could be looked at as guys who did not win the ring, players who didn't get it done at the championship level. What do you think is going to happen to CP3 and Melo? They'll be looked at as players who failed to succeed at the highest level. And considering peers have come and passed, peers are winning at high levels, going to conference finals. To me, the NBA Finals is putting even more pressure on Melo. Melo has to escape New York. Free Melo. Melo needs to escape New York and get somewhere where he can win and get that monkey off his back. Because trust me, when it's time to start pulling up resumes and where you rank all time in the NBA pantheon, Melo is looking shaky for you. Dwayne Wade, to me, is on, is on the clock, not because he's not a champion. We know he's a three-time champion. Once as the guy, twice maybe as a... A secondary superstar, or you could argue role play depending on how you want to look at it. Wade clearly wants one more ring. He wants one more run. Seeing how Cleveland is no match for Golden State is currently constituted. I listed I listed D. Wade because I feel like he could define his legacy by being that hired gun that proved that even late in his career, late in his career, he could be dependent upon. To get you over the hump. That'd be a feather in D-Wade's cap that. Whereas. LeBron came and passed him. LeBron eventually needed him. To solidify LeBron's. Super all time great standing. That's why he's on the clock. It's not even about him being a loser or a winner. Or anything of that nature. It's about. He can change the discussion. About Wade in one fell swoop. By, by bringing his guy. A championship that would change the way people view him forever. And last but not least on my list, Russell Westbrook. To me, the worst thing that happened to Russell Westbrook was not only Kevin Durant winning the championship. The worst thing that happened to Russell Westbrook in his legacy is the fact that KD had fun doing it. 
KD meshed with Steph Curry in a way that we never necessarily saw in Oklahoma City. These are these are the facts. The way they played, the symmetry in which they played with, we never saw that in OKC. That's the worst thing that happened to Westbrook. Not the championship, but the fact that it looked so good. KD looked so happy. It didn't matter that his uniform was didn't say oh, Oklahoma City. It didn't matter what uniform he was in. The glow, the, I'm about to say the glee and joy. The glee and the joy that he showed proved that he was happy in his decision. There was no reason for him to look back and say, you know what? Maybe it would have been sweet if I wanted OKC. No. That's the worst thing that happened to Westbrook's legacy because now it shows you that maybe KD couldn't play with Westbrook. Maybe Westbrook is a guy. He is a player. Who can, who can get your stats. He can dribble the basketball a lot and then pass to the shooter. Maybe he's a dude who's good for the regular season, but he can't win at a high level because his style of play doesn't dictate winning. That's a tough blow to have in your legacy to be a stat monger, but not a winner. And to have one of the, the second, to many, the second best player in the world leave you to go somewhere else to take less shots, to do less but, and be happy with it. Be willing to suppress his ego to get away from you and what you do. That is a knock against your legacy. Believe it or not, the 2017 NBA Finals, beyond the status quo of its participants, it has placed a lot of these players on other teams in a position where the conversation about them will change forever. I also wanted to talk about the way legacy defines a player. And this is not just about Hall of Fame. It's not about being a legend. It's also to the way fans view you. Whether you're at work, whether you're at the gym, whether you're at the barbershop, the restaurant, the bar. How you're discussed. A lot of times players. Who might not have been that good. But if they moved you a certain kind of way. Can make a lifetime. Out of being overrated by fans and media alike. So that's how your legacy defines you. And this is another reason why you see the ring chasing happening. Because you want to be overrated by the fans. You want you you want to be considered a legend even if you not you might not have necessarily done legendary things. Having your legacy define you that way, in a way, it, it feeds your ego. It uh, you know, if I'm a player, I'm a podcaster. Let's 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 talk about that. If I'm a podcaster and I was alright at doing it. But I moved a bunch of people, and I and I hit, I got a lot of ratings. But there was a lot of people around who who were much better than me. My legacy was defined by the fact that I was popular. I I had high ratings. Ratings for people who do what I do are considered championships. If you're consistently the best at the ratings, you might not be the best per se. But if if you keep winning these ratings rings, you'll go down as one of the best to ever do it. In a, in a way. Championship rings as position legacies is even is even rating higher 
than MVPs, and these guys want that feeling. They they want to know that when they walk through their city, they might not have done, they might not have put that work in. Not to say that players don't do it, but I'm just talking what we talking about. It's the gray area. We gonna hello. It's the truth of the matter. We know we watch sports. Some players have championship rings, and they didn't put in half the work needed to get that ring. Even some of these star players. But if you got about four or five rings, you can walk around with your chest out in any city as an athlete, and someone will recognize you. I remember bumping into Robert Ory years ago, maybe 10, 10 or more years ago, maybe 12 years ago, and just being hyped to see him, knowing that he was a multiple-time champion and hit a few big shots, but Robert Ory was never a star in the NBA. He was never a star. We know that. But he can't walk by a soul without being noticed because one in every three or four people know who he is because he got those rings, baby. It defines him. That's how his legacy defines that player. When we go in the barbershop, there's players who will never be looked at as bad because of how they moved you when they were on the court. Dominique Wilkins never won a damn thing in the NBA. But you, you, you better be careful what you say about Dominique when you go to the barbershop. You better damn sure be careful what you say about Dominique. There's a conversation about Kyrie Irving and Allen Iverson. Iverson, he has an MVP to his name. He played with a level of tenacity, heart, and grit that cannot be matched. But because of what his legacy has done for him as a fighter, as a gritty player who who played who, who might have played above his means, you can't say a word about nobody can be better than Iverson that doesn't have a championship. Go around and start trying to pick conversations with people. Fans, when y'all listen to this, and mention Allen Iverson and say player A is better than Iverson who doesn't have a championship, then name a player who plays a similar position who has a championship and, 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 and see how the conversation instantly shifts. Legacies are important. That's how it defines a player. They are able to never, they, they're able to be overrated in some cases and overly respected in other cases. You, you can never speak ill of them. Because there'll always be a staunch defender somewhere in the wings waiting to hop on you if you talk crazy about their favorite player. That's how a legacy defines a player. And that's for any sport. But we, this is NBA Legacy War, so I want to keep it there. In, in the future episodes, and the future chapters of the gray era, get familiar. We're not necessarily doing episodes in. We're calling them chapters. This is a book. I'm, I'm, I'm enlightening you with my scriptures. Gray area. <laughs> I'm doing my own drops. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to beat it into your head like hypnosis. This is the gray area. Players work hard to have those legacies so that they can be spoken properly of, putting respect on their name constantly going forward. Look at T-Mac. T-Mac never got out of the first round of the playoffs, ever. But he's a first ballot Hall of Fame member. I'm supposed to say Hall of Famer, but I saved it. I don't care. You know, I, I'm, I'm an open book here. He's a Hall of Famer of the and first ballot hall. For those who don't know what that means, a first ballot Hall of Famer means that you don't have to wait to get to the Hall of Fame. That means you're one of the best of the best if you get it on your first try. How can a wing player who played in the Iverson and Kobe Bryant and Vince Carter era be first ballot but never taste the second round of the playoffs as the guy? He got to the second round. Let me not disrespect him. As a member of the San Antonio Spurs where he wore a suit most of the time or never actually got on the court 
he got to the finals. But when in his actual playing career, Tracy McGrady never got out of the first round of the playoffs. And he's first battle Hall of Fame. I don't think Tracy has an MVP. He has a few scoring titles. And he at one point was nearly as popular as Kobe. But really? But that but his presence and what he did and how he moved people during his career, that legacy that created it, even without the ring, surprisingly. Got him to be first battle hall of fame. But now look. I led the show with not winning championships. And look how I'm talking about T Mac. I'm I'm kind of bashing him because he didn't win a ring. Do you see how everything comes full circle? I'm talking about him as a first battle hall of famer, but in a sense I'm speaking ill of T Mac because I don't believe he deserves it. I'm not sure what he's done to deserve being a first battle hall of famer. How is he first battle, but a guy like let's say Penny Hardaway isn't first battle hall of fame? How, Sway? How? You could be a player like Allen Houston. Some really strong years. Former Nick, former Detroit Piston. But he's mostly forgettable. He had he left he didn't leave a mark on the game if unless you were a, a really hardcore NBA fan. Allen Houston is mostly a guy. Plenty of people will walk past Allen Houston and, and won't even realize he used to play in the league. They might assume it because he's tall and black, that he might have been some kind of an athlete. But in the end, who is Allen Houston? You dig? It kind of goes back to this conversation about perception or accolades. That's going to be something that I talk about throughout the topic. Perception or accolades. I named Allen Iverson, Allen Houston, Tracy McGrady. Of, of those three, Allen Iverson had both the perception of greatness and he had the accolades. Tracy McGrady is a first battle Hall of Famer. Let's call a spade here. Call, call, talk, call it what it is. He's first battle based on perception. He didn't do anything to deserve to be first battle Hall of Famer. Allen Houston, perception is he was a quiet jump shooter and that was the truth. And he had no accolades. So he leaves no legacy. So no legacy at all really for Allen Houston. Tracy McGrady's legacy is based mostly on perception. And it's not, we're not talking about how good he was at ball or scoring times. We're talking about how he became a first battle Hall of Fame. Because I know how some of y'all listen. Y'all gonna make it seem as though I think Tracy can't play. And that's not the case. What I'm saying is his status as a first ballot Hall of Fame is based more on the perception of T-Mac than what his accolades say he was. Allen Iverson first battle Hall of Famer because of perception and accolades. Perception is basically ties back into how legacies define a player. If you build the right kind of perception, your legacy will be solidified. You see what I'm doing here? You see how I'm weaving this whole thing together for y'all? Last topic before I break out of here. Very last topic. Let, let, let me switch up the sounds on y'all real quick. The question, and I believe it's not necessarily a question, it's a fact. In the last 15 years or so, for the listeners, and I want you to think about it before I speak on it, what role do you guys believe, and girls, that 
the media has played in the positioning of these NBA players' legacy. I believe, for me personally, that the media has played a massive role in what we think of NBA players to be in terms of where they rank, in terms of who they are, in terms of their cachet. Beyond the, beyond the fans who do their own research and the podcasters and the hardcore media and the beat writers and so on and so forth out there, to the casual fan, the media dictates who we think these players to be. Even Michael Jordan, I, you know, I, I, I'll get some pushback on this, but the Michael Jordan era and the way the media positioned MJ has made it hard for players now. You can't really do certain things as a player anymore because of the Jordan era. You have to do it one way. Look, look at the pushback of LeBron gets. Look at, look at how Kobe is underrated now. It's because of the way the media position MJ. And it's not to say MJ can't be the GOAT. But to me, in a, in a league that's always growing, always, always expanding, how can we stop the conversation with Michael Jordan as the GOAT, the end? To me, it should be an error-to-error discussion because the game is going to change, the rules are going to change, and the way players approach the game is going to change. So how how can we say MJ is the GOAT? MJ was considered the greatest of all time with three championships when he retired the first time. How? How, how is he greater than a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? And this is the thing. People conflate the two. And on a later episode of The Gray Area, on a later chapter of The Gray Area, I have to remind myself. I'm going to be discussing better and greater. I hope y'all tune in for that because that's going to be a deep discussion. But how can he be considered the GOAT when you have a guy like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who just in the 80s put the league on a level to where Michael Jordan could cash in on a popularity built on the back of those legends I just named. Most of that was because of the media. That's a fact. The media can really control the discussion. And it's not even a discussion. It's a word that I've been seeing floating around called narrative. Narrative totally disregards the the actual events of of what happened during the game. Narrative will make it seem as though you saw this dude. Let's say take 15 shots. He made 11 of them. Had a great game. You, You know what you saw. But they'll position the conversation. Oh, he took shots he shouldn't have took. He's lucky that they went in. Those are bad shots. You watched the game. You saw those shots came within the flow of the offense. So how could it be bad shots? But if the narrative is this player is not what the media wants him to be, they're always going to speak ill of him. And they'll position that player to either be viewed negatively by the fans or positively by the fans. Look at how hard they've worked to position Steph Curry in a negative light along with Kevin Durant after they positioned LeBron to be negative for years. And then all of a sudden LeBron became the savior and Steph and KD became the villains. The media play a massive role in the positioning of a player's legacy. They, they, they damn near ruined Allen Iverson and what people thought of him until, you, until he left the game you realized what you had but it was too late. Same thing goes for Kobe. Same thing goes for Charles Barkley and Patrick Ewing and all these other guys who didn't win championships. That's just how it is. That's just that's just how it is, man. 
So I believe that the media plays a massive role. And it is up to us as sports fans to, to trust our eyes. Go out there, do your research, do your film study, do what you need to do to enlighten yourself. Because even you, you also have to factor in the media beyond their words, they're using numbers. On chapter two of the gray area, I'm going to be talking about a certain type of sports fan. And it ties into the way they, they use narratives and numbers and analytics to support their argument. And that's where I want to go before I leave you. These networks use numbers and analytics to make it seem as though some players are better than others by saying statistically their habits are this and, they, and, and, they, and their habits are that or, or, or nine times out of ten they do this as opposed to nine times out of ten they do that so on and so forth. And don't get me wrong, advanced statistics are a great tool. But advanced numbers also can mislead you because again if you watch the game and you see a player go four for four. The advanced stats are going to say, this guy had a really great game, but he got four feet. He went four for four because the superstar player who might not have the prettiest of advanced numbers put him in position to make all four of those shots. But they don't want to tell you that story. They say that the star player is inefficient and he should give the ball to this guy more because he's more efficient. Not knowing that all the hard work that the star player put in is the reason why the role player could be efficient in the first place. They completely disregard that because they want to position the fans to think a certain way about that player and ultimately affect that player's legacy. You see what I'm doing, y'all? I'm having fun with this. I'm, this is what I've always wanted to do. As we go on and we and we you know, turn the pages on these chapters, I'm going to give you more and more information. Because I believe that it's up to us now as sports fans to take back what we love. And what we love is sports talk. What we love is sports information. What we love is sports in general. And we cannot allow people on the outside or people on one side of the argument as opposed to people on the other side of the argument dictate the way we see the sports world. I am the elite podcaster, Ray Jarvis. And this is the gray area. Chapter 2 is coming soon. Until next time, I'm gone.